So today as we look at this uh, passage in Luke chapter 14, we are having some of that at the back of our mind, this whole idea of the timing of God. So in this, in this particular parable that Jesus tells, and you find that also in Matthew 22, but Jesus talks about a master who has this great supper, right? He decides to have a great big party and he invites all kinds of people to come, but many of those people that he invited rejected the invitation. They did not come. And because of that, the door was open. The master said, you know what? Let's get other people to come, right? The opportunity. Now, had the original people all come, maybe the invitation would not have gone to other people. But then the master says, let's go and get other people. The servants does this. They, they go and grab other people and they said, you know, master, we have done that, you know, but men at Ku's retreat still got 15 places. Nobody wants to sign up. Okay, <laughs> something like this, right? And so we come to Luke chapter 14, verse 23. The master said to the servant, Go into the highways and the hedges. In some versions, it has the byways, all right? The highways and the hedges and compel, everyone say compel. Compel them to come in that my house may be filled. Just looking at this, you know quite a lot is being said, right? First of all, God's desire is for His house to be filled. It is for all to be saved, that none should perish. This is God's heart and His desire. God wants people to come into the kingdom of God, to enjoy the promises of God. And then he says, go into the highways, but also the byways. God is not just looking for the educated, the rich, the wealthy, but also those people who are found in the byways, you know, on the fringes of life, who are not able to perhaps live up to the standards of society. God is interested in everyone. God consists, God's heart is concerned for even the poor. In fact, I would say God has a special place in the heart for the poor, the disenfranchised, those who are struggling. Right? So if you are in that category, know that God has a special place in His heart for you. And then it uses this word compel. Compel is a very strong word. <laughs> if you look at the Bible, it's almost like force. Force them to come in. When I look at that, I say, what does this even mean? How do we go about compelling people Right? How do you? There's a certain measure of insistence. It's not like, hey, by the way, you wanna come? Don't come. Okay, it's all right. Right? It's not just that. There's a certain measure. You take the person by sleep. You got to come. Hey, man, I'm telling you, you really have to come. All right. So that's a measure of insistence in this word compelled to insist that they come into the kingdom of God. That is the heart of God, and not only is it the heart of God. It is now a commandment of God. Right. So it becomes a commandment to all who consider themselves the servant of God, or Christians, if you like. So how do we go about compelling people? I want to talk a little bit about this, about evangelism today. I want to talk about what we should not do. Lah, huh? It's sometimes easier to talk about what you should not do. We should not be silent. I think this is the first obvious thing, right? Now, I, I'm a great believer in prayer. I pray a lot. You know, I, I encourage all of you to pray because prayer is very important, especially for evangelism. But if all you do is just pray and nothing else, then I'm afraid that people will not be coming into the kingdom of God, right? Because the master did not tell the servants, pray that the people in the highways and hedges will come. But he said, go, go, right? There's a certain uh, uh, action involved. There's a certain activity involved beyond just wishing that people will come into the kingdom of God. 
Some Christians feel that, you know, they are, I'm not good at evangelism. All I'll do is pray. La. I'll pray someone else will go. Right? Anyway, the Bible says pray that the, the Lord will send more workers in the field. So I'm praying with the Lord. Lord you know, right? Actually, you are also the answer. You're supposed to be the workers who go in the field. So prayer is very important. But in the majority of cases, prayer alone is not sufficient to lead people into the kingdom of God. That's something that needs to be said. Someone has to engage. Someone has to talk about the belief in God. You can do a lot of good works even, right? Kind works. But someone has to open up their mouth and go and invite them. You know, many years ago, we started working in our community, right? We were out there in the community and uh, we were reaching out to all sorts of people and we were doing all kinds of good works. We put some, you know, non-slip or anti-slip mats in the houses and toilets of some of the elderly folk in the community. And uh, I would go over there and maybe we even have a community uh, activity and I, I was giving speech in Malay and, you know, Chinese and English. And after a while, I heard that they thought we were the government, right? I said, we're doing all these good works, right? But they thought we were doing it for PAP, you know, so that's you know, partly because only PAP speak Malay and Chinese, Chinese people don't normally speak Malay, right? Unless you open your mouth, people will not why, know why you're doing good works, why you're, you know, being the person that you are. So some measure of engagement is necessary and you cannot be silent. When I say you, I mean all of us. All of us cannot afford to be silent. We have to take the initiative to go and talk to somebody. Now, I know this idea of taking an initiative to talk to people can be sometimes very daunting, right? yeah, a little bit scary because, you know, we're not sure what are we, what are we going to say and what happens if after I open my mouth, there comes back a barrage of questions and because of that, sometimes Christians, they will procrastinate. I'll do it tomorrow, right? That's the most famous diet in the world, the diet that starts tomorrow, right? Or, or people, I'll start exercising tomorrow. Tomorrow is such a great day. Because so many things will happen tomorrow. Tomorrow you finish your assignment. Tomorrow, you know, you start losing weight. Tomorrow you clean up your house. Everything is happening tomorrow. Tomorrow, when tomorrow comes up, it will be such a glorious day. Probably we'll all be heaven by then, right? But when it comes to evangelism, you cannot wait until tomorrow. Today is the day of salvation. So, when we look at this particular story, you notice that you know, well, we didn't read it out. I encourage you to read it yourself. But a few verses before that, it says this in Luke 14, 21. So the servant came and reported these things to the master. The master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city and bring them, bring in here the poor and the maimed, the lame and the blind. Go out quickly. Don't take your time. There's certain urgency involved. So, you cannot procrastinate. Don't do it tomorrow. Do it today, right? You know, Jesus said in Matthew, well, actually, why? Why do we need to hurry, right? What's the, what's the hurry? Jesus, you know, 2,000 years already, you're still not here. What is the big hurry? Well, we do not know the context of this particular supper that's told to us in Luke 14. But if you do look at the parallel parable that's found in Matthew 22, you find an additional detail. The parable in Matthew 22 starts like this. It says, the kingdom of heaven. So this is not just about anything. This is about the kingdom of God, right? It's an illustration. The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king, right? You can think about who do you think this king might be, who arranged a marriage for his son, right? Now, if you're a Christian for a little while, you know, this symbolism just jumps right out at you, right? Clearly, the son has to be the son of God. 
If it's a marriage, then the bride, well, the church is the bride, but you know, everyone who would be the church would be the bride. And this was the marriage feast. Now, I don't know if you've ever been invited to weddings. I have to do a lot of weddings, right? And usually, the couple will set a date. They'll tell, uh, Pastor, this is the date that we're going to get married. I, do, I don't know about those of you, how you all select your date. But once you have the date, it's a fixed date. If, let's say some people told you, I cannot come, uh, you won't say, uh, uh, in that case, let me just move the date later. Uh. You know, that's not something, it doesn't work like that, all right? So, you know, all, all the people who are going to get married, they have to think about what date to choose, you know. Maybe avoid February uh, because Valentine's Day, too many things happening, right? Uh, maybe choose uh, seven months uh, because everything very cheap, uh, all the hotels nobody using. You know, you might think about all these things, but once you set the date, that is the date. Is there a date for the great supper or, you know, as it says in uh, Revelation uh, 19.9, right? The great marriage supper of the Lamb. I think there is a date, right? We don't know what that date is, but there is a date and we are moving inexorably towards that date. And that is why we cannot afford to slack. We cannot afford to procrastinate and take our time. It will not be too much of an imagination to think that this parable is a very direct uh, illustration of where we are in, in the kingdom of God, right? God is going to come. There is going to be a marriage feast. And until that time, we have a period of time, a window of opportunity in which to not remain silent, to open our mouth, to take initiative and tell somebody. Some of us may feel that, but I'm not very well trained. Okay, we'll get to that, all right? We'll get to that. Second thing you should not do. You should not be obnoxious, all right? Don't be obnoxious. You know, some years ago, we, when we started doing Alpha, we were all so excited. Now, some of you may not know about Alpha, but Alpha is this series of meetings, right? That's uh, basically, there's a lot of fun, food, and fellowship, the three Fs, right? And the first meeting usually have very good food. And, you know, people will come, they'll bring all kinds of friends with a lot of trepidation, right? I mean, going to a strange place with strange people, it's always a bit scary. And... I heard about one Christian who was very zealous. Can't wait to share the gospel. So in Alpha, normally you sit down, you eat, you know, and then after that you watch a video and then you discuss, you know, talk and share your thoughts and things like this. But during the eating part, this person was so excited, he went up to the people while they're taking their food and started asking, are you a Christian or not? You, have, well, you need to become a Christian. Even before they ate their food, you know, before they had their rendang or chicken or anything, they had to eat Jesus first, right? So, you know, sometimes in our passionate uh, desire to share the gospel, we may not realize it. Huh? We can sometimes become a little bit obnoxious. Huh? I can speak with a little bit of authority with, about this because I'm that person, not that person who, who did this. But when I was in junior college, I was very passionate about sharing the gospel because I was worried that my friends would not have an opportunity to accept Christ before Christ came again. And I would be every day in the school canteen with my four spiritual laws going around looking for the next, my eyes will be scanning, who's my next victim, right? Ah, that person sitting alone there. He looks sad. Jesus will make him happy. So I would go sit down. While they're trying to eat their food, usually they eat faster when I'm there, right? One day, I was walking down towards the canteen, down this long hallway in Raffles Junior College, on the back on the Mount Sinai campus. I was walking down, just beginning of the hallway. I saw at the other end, with my hands with all the four spiritual laws, always in my pocket, right? One guy came at the other end. I looked at him, he saw me, those two eyes, a moment of contact. Immediately, kebalakan pusing, you know. Okay, I said, I want them to come into the kingdom of God. Why are they running away from me? Okay, so don't be the obnoxious guy, okay. I have some experience with that. 
The problem is sometimes uh, we want to tell people what we want to tell them without actually understanding where they are coming from. That's the problem with a lot of our styles of evangelism. You, know, you attend some course in evangelism, you practice using the material, and you can't wait to try it out on someone. Often, without thinking about where that person is. You know, in my many years of doing evangelism, I very seldom come across people whose primary objection to the kingdom of God is theological or even philosophical, right? I would say that in Singapore, a majority, and that, that will be a small component, but the majority of the time, people's objection is either cultural or traditional, right? Some old people say, the reason I don't want to get baptized and become a Christian is because my husband, who has passed away, was a Buddhist, right? And every year, I need to go and burn something for him, you know, prepare some so-called cakes, and you know how they do in these Chinese things, right? If I become a Christian, who's going to do that? My husband will go hungry. So this is sort of like how... I'm not joking, right? Those of you who are Chinese, you know this is how... That is their objection. That's all the objection there is to them becoming Christian. So coming to them with apologetics, you know, with all these different arguments, you know what? Telling them about these things probably will not help them come into the kingdom of God. For some people, the problem is personal. They had a bad experience with a Christian, right? Uh, and we'll talk a bit more about that also. And that is the reason. It's not some... They don't, they don't mind Jesus. They just don't like you, right? And sometimes that is the problem why people are not effective in evangelism. And then for some other people, their objection to Christianity is social. They don't want to come to church and all of you are looking so holy, right? Because your face is shining, you, know, you open your mouth, songs come out, you know. So they come in, and you know, I feel so out of place. Yeah, I know, I know, maybe this is not for me. You know, for no other reason than we are not able to integrate them, right? So you might think evangelism is this hard thing that requires me to understand all these argumentations, you know, all these uh, different apologetic reasons. Actually, I can tell you, for, the, for many, many people, evangelism is more about presenting social solutions, traditional solutions to their traditional and cultural objections. That is what is needed. Of course, because, you know, a lot of our so-called evangelistic training material come from the West, where things are perhaps a bit more philosophical. We tend to apply those things. Today, I want to suggest to you, sometimes simply applying your approach without considering and listening to where people are can make you an obnoxious person, right? So that's not to say don't use that. If, in fact, the objection is theological, philosophical, you know, then yes, of course, we have many tools. We can bring them to Alpha. We have materials, you know, even videos. But if it's not theological and philosophical, then it will require a solution that matches. So don't be obnoxious. Be sensitive, right? Be sensitive. Listen to people. Try and understand where they are. Put yourself in their shoes. Third of all, we should not give up easily, right? We should not give up easily because some of us perhaps have tried evangelism in the past and you have, you know, you have faced, you've been faced with some rejection, sometimes very bad reactions from people when you try to share the gospel with them. And you know what they say, once bitten, twice shy, right? So after that, you know what, I don't really want to do evangelism. I'm not good at this, you know. The last time I tried it was a disaster, right? And I want to tell you that evangelism is not easy, so you should not give up easily, right? You should not give up easily. Just because somebody rebuffed you in the past, you should not be afraid.
But you should get better at this, right? You should get, find ways to not offend people unnecessarily. We should still keep trying because that person is important to you. Some of you maybe have one pursuit, a girl or a guy, you know, I suppose, you know, right? And maybe you were rebuffed at first, but you weren't for that reason just give up, right? Because if this person is in fact important to you, you'll keep trying in different ways and means, you know. But of course, not becoming pushy or don't become a stalker, right? So it is important for us to do this. Again, don't expect people, uh, just because you presented your, your, your gospel presentation, uh, you know, it is a life-changing decision. You're asking them to give up their whole life and surrender completely to Jesus. This is like, you know, you're walking in the streets and you meet somebody, a random person. Hey, by the way, are you interested in selling house? Uh? The person says, oh, you know what? That's a good idea. Yeah, you're right. Tomorrow I'll sell my house. You know, you don't make that kind of big decisions on the spot like that. It, you have to sit down. You have to think over it. You have to mull. You have to check the evidence and so on and so forth. It takes a while. When I became a Christian in Singapore and went back to Malaysia, I was always concerned about my parents' salvation, particularly my father, right? Uh, and my dad was a very stoic person. He never talked to me very much, right? Usually when he talks to me, it's trouble. Did you do your homework? Show me your report card. That's the kind of conversation. That, and normally we also don't talk to them very much unless you need money or something, right? So, you know, a typical Chinese household, not a whole lot of interaction. And, um, and then I was thinking, I want to talk to my dad. I want him to know Jesus, but how? You know, for 16 years of my life, I barely talked to him about any significant things. And out of the blue, so I came back from Singapore during the school holidays uh, in the junior college. I would go home and I would say, how, how am I going to start talking to him? Actually, I don't even know what exactly he does at his work, you know. So I decided I'm going to go out with him when he goes and try. He's starting out photography at that point in time. So I'll go with him. I have no idea what photography was all about, but I just sit with him in a car, you know, just go wherever, these different places, just to take some pictures. And one day, after talking about all kinds of things, I just mustered up the courage to ask him, Dad, do you want to know why I became a Christian? I was like, please don't say no. Once they say no, that's the end of conversation for me. That was my, my, my one thing that I'm hoping that will work. And he said, yeah, tell me. So, you know what? I poured out my heart to him. You know what? He didn't become a Christian. Right? He did not. But something happened. I noticed that after two weeks, he started buying all these Christian cassettes, you know, and putting the Christian music in a car. I was thinking he was trying to please me. Lah. Oh, now my son is a Christian. Yeah, let's put more Christian music in the car. All those Maranatha kind of music, right? Which is very theological. One, lah. You'll seek ye first, the kingdom of God, that kind of thing. Well, I was glad he was listening to it. And then he started going to Christian bookshops. And he would bring me along. Again, I was thinking, you know, maybe my dad lah, is just trying to accommodate his son's zealous, you know, faith. So he would bring me to different Christian bookshops and PJ, you know, and evening. Sometimes this is my father-son bonding time, you know, in different Christian bookshops, glad tidings and all these things. And then one day, months later, one day, he called me out into the driveway at night. He said, hey, Chena, come, 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 come. So we are standing out in the car, neck by the car. You know, in Malaysia, we live in landed property. You know, house means landed property. Only when you come to Singapore, when you say house, oh, you mean flats, okay? So it's a bit different. So we are standing out in the driveway, in the, you know, under the, 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 the night sky. He says, guess what? I say, what? I went somewhere today. Where did you go? So I went to a church meeting. Huh? You went to a church meeting? Oh, I, I never told him anything. About it. He said, yeah, I just, I didn't know how he found out. He said, I went to this Methodist church and they had a, a meeting. At night? Yeah, yeah, some kind of evangelist thing. 
Then what happened? I accepted the Lord. Like that, right? Now, look, imagine this, ah. imagine I gave up straight away, right? My, I, I can't talk to my dad, lah, you know, he's, he's too different from me. If I given up, I don't know if that would be the outcome. My point in telling you this is, it takes time for people to come to the Lord, right? Of course, for some people, it takes longer. For some people, it's a lot shorter. And, you know, you will never know until you try. So, don't give up easily, okay? Turn to your neighbour and say, don't give up easily. Right? The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, this 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God doesn't give up on us. God has not given up on any of us. However bad you might feel you are, whatever station in life you might feel you're in, right? Whatever struggles you're going through, God hasn't given up on you. We shouldn't give up on other people. The fourth thing we shouldn't do is you do, shouldn't have to work alone, right? Don't work alone. Because sometimes what is needed to bring the gospel to someone is beyond yourself. Not everything. Now, again, I didn't know this. I thought evangelism was a personal cross for you to carry, right? So, I, I love my grandmother, my maternal side grandmother very much, right? Uh, because, you know, grandmothers, all kids like grandmothers because they save you from your parents. Uh. That's my tower of refuge. Uh. Every time my parents want to punish me, if my grandmother is there, I know I'll be safe <coughs> until grandmother goes home, right? And then, uh, so I was very close to her and I also struggled. But my struggle is even more complicated than it was for, for my dad because my grandmother is illiterate. Right. She, she reads newspaper, but only to see the total numbers. That one she can read. Right? But the other things she doesn't know, only see pictures. Huh, you see? And I was like, how to share the gospel? I don't even know how to say some of these Christian words in Hokkien. Huh? It's very difficult. Right? Olo uh, means, you know, praise the Lord. Okay, maybe that one I still can get by. But, lu ai sing, ya so. You know, I was trying with a combination of some bastardized Hokkien, uh, so to speak, uh, mixed up with some Chinese. Occasionally, the random Cantonese word will get in there, plus a lot of sign language and a big dose of hope. You know, she, she said she wanted to believe Christ, but I wasn't sure what it was she was believing in because I don't know what actually presented, uh, to be honest. It was very difficult. You know, you don't have to do this. In course, we have Chinese ministry, we have uh, Filipino ministry, we even have a, a Sri Lankan ministry. There are people here who can help you. You don't have to do it alone, right? You know, we are family credo, right? You are not alone. You are not alone in your evangelistic effort as well. So, get them involved. Get them involved, right? And so, don't try and be a hero. Uh, don't try and work against the limits. If you run up and talk to us. Talk to people in different ministries. Just yesterday, Chris was sharing with me about how the uh, Chinese ministry folks are out in the neighbourhood. They're probably talking to some people that some of us probably will not be able to communicate with really well, right? For language reasons or even cultural or age reasons. Fifth, don't wait until people... You shouldn't have to wait until people have decided to involve them in church, right? So some of us will feel that, you know, I can't bring this person to church until they've decided to believe in Jesus. Actually, you don't have to. Like I said, sometimes the problem is a social problem. They just don't know anyone. So bring them, get them involved. We have got all kinds of 
unchurchy activities, you know, kaki song, wheel cycling, la, we have Zumba, we have uh, all kinds of stuff going on here, right? And these are just fun things to get to know people. And the reason is because we understand that people's problem with coming to church is sometimes social. So you can bring them to church, get them involved in all these activities, invite them for this and that, it will help. Number six, we should not be ashamed. Today, there are some people who are afraid to tell others that they are Christians. Because, you know, the name Christian has drawn a little bit of, uh, I guess, uh, criticism you know, in community. People will say, oh, you're Christian. Ah. Oh, you're one of those very holy, very judgmental type of person. So, you know, because of that, you, you don't really want people to know you're Christian in case you're misunderstood. So because of that, you just kind of keep quiet about it. Actually, you should be proud of your faith. Because if you are ashamed of your faith, no one else... You know, I was just thinking, you know, imagine uh, you drive past car motors. Uh, car motors is down the street there, right? The Honda dealership. But then uh, in a car park, uh, the staff car park, they're all driving Toyota. You know, you're not going to be very... Because if they're not proud of their own car brand, you're not going to be very convinced about buying from their brand, right? Now, in the same way, as Christians, we are not proud in a very obnoxious way, but... I hope that Church of Our Saviour can be a church that you are proud of. Right? You don't have to be afraid to bring people to church because we are a great church. Amen. So quiet. <laughs> right? You are great people. I mean, we, of course, the facilities are great, but you guys are normal, ordinary, friendly people. Right? Yeah, yeah, amen. I'm glad some of you agree. Okay. So, you know, there's a number of, and there probably other things that you should not do in evangelism, right? Not to do these things. Even. But the greatest essence of how you can be compelling, right? Compel. How can you give a compelling testimony is, apart from all these other characteristics, is actually truthfulness and authenticity. That is what makes your testimony the most powerful when it is real. It is real. It's not fake. It's not something made up. You know, you don't have to make up a sob story. You don't have to make up something. You have to be authentic and you're real. People don't like fake stuff. We are inundated constantly with fake news, fake phone calls. You know, all the time I'm getting phone calls from some random ministry of health or something like this, right? Happens to us all the time and we are just kind of sick and tired of that. A compelling testimony must come from a compelling witness, Right? It doesn't matter if you can say all the things, you know, that sounds very nice, but if people don't like you as a person, they don't trust you as a person, then almost nothing you say is going to matter. They will not be able to come to the Great Supper of the Lamb. I saw this meme recently, and it had a very... Don't show it yet, no? Ah, it was so fast. Okay. It says, Lord, please bless this food to the nourishment of my body. Okay, you don't look at the picture. Lah. Don't, just listen to the words, alright? I, I purposely put it down there. Okay, so, the words are nice. Those are good words. But the moment you see the picture, you know it's not serious. Lah, right? Obviously, this person has no consideration for the nourishment of my body. Alright? Now, please, don't ask me, Pastor, where can I get this burger? <laughs> Some of you might be thinking of that right now, right? But you see what I mean? Words and action, right? What people hear and what people see, sometimes they don't quite add up, very unfortunately. And if this is you, uh, then I think our testimony will not be compelling, right? It will not be compelling. In fact, this problem of an inauthentic testimony is actually one of the biggest obstacles to why people do not accept 
their invitation to this great supper. Probably the biggest. It turns out that there are people who actually study these things, right? And in 2011, there was a very interesting paper that someone wrote. And they discovered that the biggest reason that young people are Christians are because their parents are Christians, right? So they follow their parents. But within the study, they also found that the biggest reason why young people reject the faith of their parents is also because of their parents. Something very interesting. Huh? So start. Either you make it or you don't make it, both because of the parents. And what was it about their parents? Now, this is a very long paper, almost 30 pages long, right? 28 or so pages. You don't have to read it. I read this kind of stuff. But in the paper, they gave a very interesting illustration. I'll read that to you. It says, Imagine tomorrow morning, you wake up in a strange and noble environment, surrounded by strange people, flora and fauna. Your stomach rumbles hungrily and you decided to rustle up some breakfast. How would you decide, decide what is safe to eat, right? Remember, this is a new place. You are not familiar with it. You may notice that a lot of people are gathering small brown nuts from a local bush. That is a good sign. If a lot of people are interested in these nuts, there's a good chance that they are good to eat. On the other hand, you notice some people gathering mushrooms instead. However, many of the people gathering nuts are obviously successful, while the mushroom gatherers look like you know, they're struggling. The nut gatherers are healthy, strong, and others look to them for guidance. Finally, you notice that these fit individuals are actually eating the brown nuts that they gather. In this rather speculative example, you're faced with the question of what to believe about a new environment. Should you believe that nuts are delicious and nutritious? Should you believe that nuts, uh, mushrooms are preferable? Or should you instead set out your, on your own and try, trying, begin trying various foods for yourself? Now, this is actually all about evangelism. How are people going to know that what you say is true? Right? You cannot see God. So how are they going to look at you? Well, you don't look like you believe it yourself. You just say you believe it, but you don't look like you are that committed. You say it's God, but it looks like you are the same as any of us. So, you know, maybe you are one of the mushroom gatherers. Huh? Not so sure about you. And then you look at someone else who maybe, you know, all about money and partying, and then they seem to be, wow, they seem to be quite happy. Huh? Certainly happier than these Christians over here, right? And so they're going to make their decisions that way. So the paper goes on to say, you know, humans rely on each other for adaptive information on an unparalleled degree in the animal kingdom. As a consequence, our species are addicted to culture and the bulk of preferences, motivations, attitudes and beliefs are and can be influenced by the transmission from other members in their social group. So when it comes to evangelism, they're saying it's not just what you say, it's what we do as a group, right? People look at what you do and they learn from what you do. I always say this example. I go to Japan, you go up the escalator, everyone automatically go left. But you go to Osaka, you go up the escalator, everyone automatically go right. How do you know this? Just watch other people, lah, right? So if people look at us Christians, what do they see? What is compelling about your testimony? The paper goes on a bit. There's a lot of interesting things in this paper. The third context springs from the need of cultural learners to avoid deception. In other words, how do you avoid people from deceiving you, right? In this case, it is important for learners to ensure that their models accurately hold beliefs they espouse before adopting the beliefs for themselves. Actions speak louder than words, and they are great cues for another's underlying beliefs. In other words, 
How will people know whether your profession of the gospel is true? How will they know that your testimony is compelling? How is it compelling? Because you are compelling. You have to be compelling. This is a fascinating research, to be honest. And it comes to this conclusion, right? And it says, as children's age, they gradually come to disbelieve in Santa Claus even though Santa's cognitive content remains. That means uh, everywhere you go, you see people talk about Santa Claus, there are songs about Santa and his reindeer, you know, there are movies, there are pictures about Santa Claus. You see Santa Claus in advertisement, you would think with so much information, people will believe in Santa Claus, but they discover that context changes, however. As children's age, they stop witnessing credibility-enhancing displays of others' faith in Santa. As a result, Santa Claus is a god to children, but an entertaining folk tale and useful tool for many adults, right? In other words, why in spite of all this media culture about Santa Claus, nobody actually believes? Because children look and say, well, nobody is dying for Santa Claus. Nobody is sacrificing for Santa Claus, right? Nobody is making their decision in their life depending on what Santa Claus will. Oh, I don't know, man. Maybe I should not be such a mean person because Santa is looking who's naughty and nice, you see, right? And then if I'm naughty, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or nobody's saying that, you know what, I should drive more carefully because Santa is watching me. The children are noticing, actually, you don't care what Santa says. So they know that Santa Claus is fake. But guess what? When we don't have a compelling testimony, it is not just your families, you know, not your parents, your relatives. It's not just your colleagues who do not get to benefit from your compelling testimony. Actually, your own children also will not benefit from a compelling testimony, right? Children often reject the faith simply because they watch you. It's not what you say or you don't say. They just watch. And I know there are Christians who feel that, you know, there are many things that, I don't know, my faith is all very personal all that. If it's so personal, it will not become your children's faith, right? And I know uh, how do children notice that you are a good testimony? They'll look at your words, your actions, right? They look at your commitment. They look at what you sacrifice, what you do when no one is looking. They look at some of the rights that you practice. You know, there are some Christians who say, you know what, I don't need to do all these other Christians. Christians need to worship. I don't have to worship. Christians pray. I I'm the kind of right, very personal relationship with God. I'm special, right? And you kind of look down on going to church, going to cell group. You look down on these things. Guess what? You are providing a testimony to your kids and you're telling them that actually God is just a figment of your imagination. It's a matter of your own preference. Because if you were really king, you will obey, right? You'll do what God wants you to do. So, actions speak louder than words. So, perhaps more important than anything else, to have a compelling testimony, to be able to invite people in the kingdom of God, you need to be a compelling witness. You need to be serious about your own faith for the sake of your own children, for the sake of your own parents. You know, sometimes your own family are the hardest people to reach, huh? at least to us, because we know how we have lived before them. In Acts chapter 4, verse 20, you know, the apostle said, we cannot but speak of the things that we have both seen and heard. Not just what you heard, you must see it as well. And then we have in uh, Acts chapter 13, the proconsul, a non-believer, he became a Christian, he believed when he saw what was being done and astonished by the teaching of the Lord. The seeing and hearing must go together. That is what makes a testimony compelling. So once again, 
The obstacles to people coming to the Lord. And I know many of you have parents that you want to see saved, right? Have relatives that you want to see saved. Have good friends that you want to see saved. Some of these things, right? Some of these. First of all, you have to be a compelling witness. You've got to actually believe this stuff, right? You've got to actually believe that God is King and live like it. And then when you do, you cannot afford to remain silent or be ashamed about your faith, right? You cannot afford to procrastinate and wait. And you don't have to do it alone. So this season, as we come into this fall of the year, we are beginning to think about, you know, who are these people that we can begin to reach and invite them to this great marriage supper of the Lamb? Because we want to see them in the kingdom of God. Amen? Amen? Are you guys still with me? Right? So serious now, right? So let's pray. Let's come before the Lord. Let's commit ourselves to the Lord. God, we want to pray for our loved ones, our friends, our family, even our own children. And Lord, we want to pray that we'll leave behind a legacy of a compelling testimony for them. And Lord, we want to pray that you'll begin this work with us, our own walk. Lord, you know how imperfect we are even in our walk as Christians. How many times we stumble and even stumble other people. How many times we falter in our own faith and fail to demonstrate what faith should be for other people. Lord, forgive us for these things. But Lord, we know that we don't have to be perfect to be a good, tes- a good testimony. We have to be truthful and honest, even in all our failings and weaknesses. So Father, I pray that you give us courage and boldness, Lord. Give us your Holy Spirit to transform us so that others may be transformed through us. Help us to sense the urgency because we do not know when this fall season will end. So as we, as we think about this right now, Lord, may you begin to put names of people that we want to intentionally begin to reach out even as we draw to the close of this year. In the name of Jesus, we ask and we pray. Amen, amen. Why don't we stand together and sing this closing song? Spirit of the living God, fall fresh again. Come search your hearts and purify our lives. We need your perfect love. We need your discipline.
come and reign in each one of us, Lord. Take our offering of our lives, all the warts, all the flaws, but Lord, use it. And now, Lord, even as we go from this place, into the highways, into the hedges, into the byways, Lord, would you help each one of us to provide a compelling testimony, Lord. Help us to be winsome and not obnoxious. Help the compassion and the love of God be seen through each one of us. And now may the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be with all of us now and always. Amen. Amen. God bless all of you. Right? There's, is there ice cream outside, by the way? So there's ice cream outside. Help yourself. I'll see you all back next week. <laughs>